Hey guys, welcome back to Distributed Dialogues. I'm Dave. And I'm Ron Burgundy. We're back with another episode after our hiatus, trying to get our ICO crab coin off the ground. And uh, now that's on hold. Yeah, it's not a legal problem. We're KYC compliant and all that stuff. Yeah, it's mostly political stuff tied up with the SEC. We have a team working on it. That and there are some issues with the glue that we're resolving with the EPA. And PETA. And the Trump administration. And Red Lobster. And, as it turns out, there's already a crab coin. Anyway, since we got that put on ice, we couldn't pay our rent and we're back to driving Lyft. And recycling aluminum cans. Borrowing money from our parents. That was humiliating. Especially after all that money they lost in our ICO. But hey, we're back to doing what we do best. Getting around the blockchain hype to create the best tech podcast the world has ever seen. Or, uh heard of. That's right, Dave. A show both of our parents are very proud of, but don't quite understand. But who cares about that? Agreed. Let's act like it never happened. <laughs> Today's episode, we'll be exploring the geopolitical implications of cryptocurrencies with the help of a very special guest, an ex-CIA economic and counterterrorism analyst. But before we get into all that, we'd like to take a quick moment to tell you about another podcast we've been listening to lately, Token Talks. Token Talks explores the everything you need to know about your favorite fantasy author. No, 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 Dave. Token, not Tolkien. Oh, right, yeah. We've been listening to that for a while. Anyway, Token Talks highlights some of the best emerging projects in the crypto and blockchain space, featuring interviews from leading experts and entrepreneurs. It's a great place to keep up on everything happening with decentralization like altcoins, ICOs, token economics, and the future of digital currency. So, if you like distributed dialogues, you should definitely check it out. Again, that's Token Talks. Right, Token Talks. Visit wing.vc for more details, or find the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Today, our guest is Yaya Fanusi, who currently serves as an adjunct fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracy's Center on Economic and Financial Power. Say that five times fast. His research there focuses on the national security implications of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, as well as other technological innovations like AI. Before the FDD, Yaya spent seven years as an economic and counterterrorism analyst at the CIA, where he regularly briefed federal law enforcement, military officials, and White House-level policymakers, including George W. Bush. Yaya has also testified multiple times before Congress on a number of illicit finance issues, and is a regular contributor to Forbes, CNN, and Fox News. That's right, baby. Mainstream media. So he's totally legit. And now that I'm thinking about it, probably watching us right now. For several years, I actually worked in the CIA. I was an economic analyst and a counterterrorism analyst. So, so I sort of come from that background of looking at trends, developments, and how they, you know, how they relate to this security posture, in, to, to the security of the United States, and uh, how policymakers should be thinking about risks, threats, developments um, in a positive and or negative way. And in the think tank space, you know, the DC think tank world is a world where you've got researchers, you've got, you know, former government people all sort of trying to, um, uh, trying to understand the trends of the day and distill for policymakers through writing, articles, briefing, um, how does this impact 
how does this impact foreign policy, U.S. policy, and what should folks do about it? So, so just so, so you know, right, that's sort of the lens through which I'm looking at this stuff professionally. But then a few years ago, so when I started looking at cryptocurrencies and blockchain, it was to answer a question of how is ISIS using cryptocurrencies or using Bitcoin, right? That was a, that was a research question. And for anyone who might be a little nervous about an ex-CIA operative on our program, chill. He's actually enthusiastic about cryptocurrency. Yeah, chill out, you silly goose. He's got bigger priorities. For instance, economic warfare. But the reason why we tracked down Yaya was to find out how cryptocurrency is being used for illicit finance. You know, when we use the term, when I use the term illicit actors for crypto and let's say for terrorism, yeah, I'm talking about, so, I mean, here's the thing. Any terrorist group, a designated terrorist group doing anything with crypto is going to be called illicit activity. The same goes for cell phones, money, cars, etc. Hell, if you smack someone over the head with a bird scooter and demand money from them, that's considered illicit scooter activity. Right. It's pretty much basically anything that you would do in Grand Theft Auto. Uh, right. I think Yaya can give us a better example. For example, one thing we looked at in 2017 was um, an ISIS propaganda website. And they were just a website. They would post ISIS propaganda, you know, beheadings, all types of other stuff, and posting videos. And um, during the, the price rise of, of crypto in late 2017, they came out and said, hey, donate Bitcoin to us because our servers aren't, uh, aren't cheap. So they were basically looking for uh, funding. I would count that as illicit activity. Why? Because they're a website, uh, but they're a website that's aligned and supporting a terrorist organization, a terrorist group. Uh, so that falls into you know, illicit activity of crypto, people using crypto to fund um, you know, terrorist propaganda. Yeesh. But how much money did they actually make? It's like a, it's a drop in the bucket. It's, it's nothing comparatively speaking. A drop in the bucket. To better understand what this drop in the bucket is, let's look at the top ways terrorist organizations fund their illicit activities. According to a report published by the UK Treasury, these are the top six ways ISIS and Al-Qaeda fund their organizations, from lowest to highest income. Bank fraud. Fraudulent loan applications are a key source of funding for these groups. However, these methods pose a lukewarm risk, and funds raised this way are comparatively low. Antiques and artifacts. It's no secret that these groups are known for looting museums and other archaeological sites for antiquities and other treasures. The alarming part is that they're doing it on an industrial level. Dubbed blood antiques, many experts believe these ultimately end up on the market in London, one of the world's biggest antique markets. Donations. Good old-fashioned crowdsourcing. Terrorists are actually well-supported by their base and accept donations in all forms, whether it's land, real estate, drugs, weapons, stocks, cash, or even cigarettes. Ransoms. Yikes. This is definitely one of the more well-known avenues for these groups to make money, and hopefully you haven't seen the videos. These ransoms have netted Al-Qaeda hundreds of millions of dollars over the past 10 years. Oil. That's right, baby. Just like the good old boys here in the U.S., many extremist groups make a killing off that bubbly black gold. So much so, ISIS made over $600 million in 2015 alone. And the number one way terrorist organizations make their money? Taxes. ISIS was reported to have made close to a billion dollars in 2015 from taxes alone. Graham, I think we're in the wrong game. What? 
Podcasting's my life, Dave. No, no, no. I mean taxes. We gotta get into taxes. Oh. And oil. And more ads. Speaking of ads, let's take a quick break for an advertisement now. Yay, financial security. Dollar, dollar, bills, y'all. The Bitcoin 2019 conference is a two-day event for the Bitcoin community and will take place on June 25th and 26th in San Francisco, featuring keynote speakers from some of the biggest voices in Bitcoin, as well as a month-long virtual hackathon, a Bitcoin beer garden, and a Bitcoin art gallery. This will be the premier Bitcoin conference for Bitcoiners by Bitcoiners. And this is pretty cool. The conference will be Lightning Network enabled, allowing attendees to leverage the network from registration all the way to closing. Dave and I are actually really excited about this event, and we can't wait to see you guys there. Go to Bitcoin2019conference.com now and receive a 20% discount on tickets by using the promo code LTBN20. Tickets are less than $200 through the end of the month, so make sure you grab yours soon before the price goes up again in June. Again, that's Bitcoin2019conference.com, and the promo code for your 20% discount is LTBN20. In an op-ed article recently published by the Washington Post titled, The Cryptocurrency Terrorism Connection is Too Big to Ignore, Stephen Stilinski writes, quote, With the Islamic State's physical caliphate in shambles, revenue from oil and taxes have disappeared, but cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Dash, Ethereum, Monero, Verge, and Zcash, with others in development, constitute an alternative funding source for the terrorist. Transactions are swift and anonymous, and disrupting them is difficult. End quote. Well, Stalinsky has a point. Do cryptocurrencies present an alternative source of funding for terrorist groups? Sure. Are transactions swift and anonymous and difficult to disrupt? Potentially. This is a serious topic, and it's constantly maturing and changing, so it's hard to really get a gauge on its severity. Here's Yaya's take. I sort of have a pet peeve that, that I'm going to mention here because it comes up all the time. You know, uh, a few months back, I did a testimony in, uh, before Congress about this whole issue, about terrorist groups using crypto. And, um, you know, part of what I always say, especially, you know, presenting before Congress, I'm going to be as factual. I'm going to be, I'm going to be balanced. I'm going to be complete, right, with my analysis, with my assessment. And, you know, my judgment, and I said in written testimony and, and live orally that um, most of these terrorist cryptocurrency funding campaigns have been, um, you know, relatively unsuccessful, haven't raised a lot of money. And, um, you know, other forms of funding are more lucrative. You know, this is, I think, common understanding amongst the experts who look at this. But I also, I'm trying to give a complete picture that that's not the point. So the analysis doesn't stop there. It's not like, oh, yeah, okay, ISIS, you know, they've been using this campaign and they haven't raised much money. End of story. No, that's not the story. I mean, what the story is, where is our economy going? What's the totality of funding methods uh, available for illicit groups to use? What are the advantages or disadvantages of crypto? And what do we see when these attempts are unsuccessful? Are we seeing the groups say, okay, crypto is not good, not good for, for terrorist use? No, actually, the thing I'm seeing and I'm observing is experimentation, continuing adaptation. I mean, perfect example is groups starting with Bitcoin and then saying eventually they learn that Bitcoin is not anonymous 
and then asking for Monero, Dash, and other more anonymous cryptocurrencies. I'm seeing groups um, go from getting exchange, getting an account on exchanges uh, on Coinbase or wherever, you know, which doesn't make sense if you're a, a designated terrorist group. And then weeks later realizing, oh, okay, that's not a good idea. Let's use maybe some other sort of, um, you know, software wallet that does not, that isn't held custody by an exchange so that we can be more pseudonymous and, and have higher OPSEC. That actually, like, my judgment there is that there's growth, that there's, like, we should be aware that the story is multifaceted. It's important that we mention another technological partner in jihadist crime here, which was also mentioned in the same Washington Post article, the messaging service Telegram. Telegram has boasted over 200 million active users over the past four years and is the preferred method of communication by terrorist organizations because of its security and ultra-privacy features like encrypted messaging and self-destructing messages. On top of that, Telegram announced plans last year to scrap their public ICO after they raised $1.7 billion in two private ICOs. The launch of their public cryptocurrency named Graham Great name. is still very much speculative, but as Stolinsky points out in this article, this could spell disaster for organizations trying to track and disrupt terrorist activity, which is already incredibly hard. So in essence, we're speculating on speculation here. But the real problem, as Yaya points out, is whether or not such methods for transferring crypto through such services could actually scale to the point of raising real concerns among the geopolitical community. But the logical conclusion, though, of crypto scaling, I think crypto enthusiasts need to understand that it just makes sense that if, if crypto gets widely adopted, uh, yeah, I'm sure terrorists and other criminals are going to adopt it too, more widely than they are now. So to me, that's the complete picture. It's not to criminalize Bitcoin or criminalize crypto. It's just to sort of have a clear understanding of how this all fits into the evolving economy, the evolving um, uh, the methodology of terrorists themselves, right? That's, my, that's sort of my message. And what my, getting to my pet peeve, my pet peeve is when I would you know, present this at a hearing, and then the headline in multiple crypto uh, publications is, expert says terrorists won't use crypto, or terrorists is not, uh, crypto is not good for terrorists. That's, that's not really my judgment, but, uh, but I kind of, you know, you, you get people taking that because I think it fits the narrative of them promoting this idea that, hey, bad guys don't really use crypto that much, and that's not the message. Demonizing cryptocurrencies because terrorists use them is like demonizing the cell phones they use to communicate. Or play games. I can see the headlines now, Dave. Peace in the Middle East. Jihadists too busy harvesting Farmville crops to continue fight against American imperialists. Right now, cryptocurrencies account for only a drop in the bucket when it comes to financing terrorism. And while it doesn't account for much, many people believe that those methods need to be monitored as crypto scales and privacy improves. Because, as Yaya points out, Let's say crypto, let's say Monero scales, like this doesn't exist today, but let's say Monero somehow does scale and, and not to pick on Monero, I'm sorry, but you know, and a, a privacy coin does scale and the platforms develop in a way where now through, let's say, let's say DEXs, let's say DEXs scale and there's, it's very difficult for you to rein in the anonymous activity. And now we live in a world where it is easy to send 500 million or 1 billion or 2 billion dollars in value digitally around the world in seconds. That doesn't exist in, in an anonymous way now. So 
that makes you think if that were to happen, that would be a whole different world because now you could fund all types of things easily, illicitly, move illicit money, illicit proceeds quickly around the globe to fund anything you wanted um, so easily. There's very little constraint on financing all types of illicit activity. That world doesn't exist, but that would be a huge issue if it does. If it does. But it's still important to understand the technology and keep an eye on how it's evolving. Because if your opponents are using it, you'd better be using it too, or at least understand it. You're not going to be saying, oh, crypto is only a small thing and not many bad people are using it. No, if you're an intelligence analyst, you're going to be like, okay, let me understand this crypto stuff because you know, my adversaries are, are using it. I need to be up on it, right? So that's the first tier. Then there's the things that aren't scaling yet, but we need to be aware of them. And then there are these big, big you know, um, policy foreign policy, geopolitical issues that, uh, that crypto and blockchain are probably going to impact in the future. What do you think about this topic? Do cryptocurrencies pose a major risk if adopted by terrorist organizations? Will Telegram's coin become the preferred method of payment? Let us know. Tweet us at DistributedDD. A big thanks to Yaya Fanusi for coming on the show. If you'd like to learn more about him, check out his podcast, Rhythm of Wisdom, over at rhythmofwisdom.com. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next time.